0: if you want to join us, sign up at com slash five day.
1: If you're not learning something at your current job, then you should move to the next job.
0: If you're a creative person, if you're a baker, a dancer, a photographer, a screenwriter, an actor, a comedian, a podcaster, and you want to figure out how to make a living doing what you love, this is the show. This is the show. Don't Keep Your Day Job. My name is Kathy Heller, and I'm a singer-songwriter. I make a living doing what I love, and I want that for you. This is the show that's going to help you do that and give you not only inspiration but some real-life strategies. This is going to help you figure out how to take your creative passion and turn it into a profit. Thanks to ShipStation for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. Try ShipStation for free for 30 days and get an additional month free only if you use my promo code, dream job. Remember that's 30 days free and get an additional month free with my promo code DreamJob. Thanks to love pop for supporting. Don't keep your day job. Go to Lovepop.com dreamjob slash dream job to enter the love pop birthday sweepstakes for 50 3d birthday cards in 2018. That's lovepop.com slash dream job. L O V E P O P.com slash dream job. Hi guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. I loved last week's episode answering all your questions. I'm gonna to try to answer one or two on every episode. Um, so if you wanna post your questions or your feedback, follow me on Instagram at kathy.heller, C-A-T-H-Y dot H-E-L-L-E-R. And, um, you'll see from time to time, like I posted something on Instagram that said, ask me anything and people wrote comments with questions. So I'm going to answer a few, uh, I'll answer one or two, and then, um, we'll try to do this every week if you guys like it. And if you want more episodes, like we did last week, where the whole thing is a Q and we'll do that too. So please come follow me on Instagram and post your questions. Okay. On Instagram, the handle is flaws and all. I love that handle. I don't know if it's a girl or a guy, but he or she says, Kathy, I'm a recent college grad who's been struggling to really find my passion and jumpstart my life career. And all throughout college, I thought that I wanted to work in HR for hotels. I majored in hospitality, but I couldn't feel any more distant from my original plan. I really want to start my own business, but I'm struggling to choose between the hobbies that I love to do, which are organization and fashion. Do you have any advice for how I could really figure out how to start pursuing what is it that I love to do? I know that for some people, their purpose just comes so easily for them, but that hasn't happened for me. Thank you in advance, and I'm addicted to your podcast, by the way. That's so sweet. Um, Look. It's not easy to have several things that you love to do. It's much easier if there's just one thing, right? Because then you know where to focus your attention. I have friends who are great at making music and doing graphic design and building apps and making puppets and juggling and doing magic tricks. I'm thinking about one particular person who can do all of those things. And that's difficult because when you're good at all those things, it's hard to choose. I think what happens is people get into these existential crises where they make it so important like which one is it and what does that mean and what's my identity and what am i going to do you could just do like the next thing it doesn't mean that if you choose to do organization you have to do that forever if you choose to do fashion now you have to do that forever you can kind of like just try and let it flow and see if it starts to take off or see if by doing it you realize you'd really rather do the other thing i know for me in my own life If you would have asked me, truly, what do you want to do? I think 20 years ago, I would have said, oh, I would love to be like speaking and motivating people and writing books. But I didn't know how to get to that, okay? But what I did know is that the other thing I wanted to do was write songs. And so I just chose the writing songs path first because for some reason in my head, it seemed more doable. So I started writing songs and I started having, you know, doors shut. And then I started figuring out new routes and new approaches to try to get those songs sold so that I could make some money. And then I started to do okay. And then I started to do better. And then I started to do well. And then I started an agency. And then I started a course. And then. From the course, somebody said to me, Hey, you know, you should have your own show. And that led me to a show, which now led me to a book deal. And I think ultimately it will lead me to getting to have that career where I'm just going around the world helping inspire and motivate people. I hope so. But the point is, you get to use a pencil in life, it doesn't have to be a pen. You get to scribble things down and erase things and start and stop and change gears. So instead of having such an existential crisis, like, what do I want to do? What does that mean about who I am and my identity? What is it for my whole life? It's I mean, it's almost impossible, I think, for someone who's, a, you know, in college at that age, like for you to know absolute with certainty what you wanna do for the rest of your life. I mean, I think it's gonna evolve. Like Bobbi Brown said, she graduated college, she wanted to be a makeup artist, she moved to New York City, she was waiting tables, she was you know, trying to get jobs, she was finally getting work, she was having to travel, and then she said, wait, I want to be a mom. I want to have a family. So I don't know if being a makeup artist is going to be the best thing. And then she said, well, what about lipstick? I mean, I love lipstick. What if I made this lipstick? And so she went and met with a chemist and she wound up making some lipsticks and she sold them to Bergdorf and that did well. And she sort of kept building from there. And then she had this whole empire, not just lipstick, but blush and mascara and foundation and Then she went on to write books, nine books about beauty from the inside out, and she became synonymous with women um, and being beautiful, not because makeup makes you beautiful, but because it just enhances what you are. And Jonathan Adler talked about how he started out, he had no idea what he wanted to do, and he graduated college, and they did a profile on two graduating seniors at Brown, One was this kid who knew exactly what he wanted to do, and one was Jonathan who said, I don't know, maybe I'll go weave baskets in Santa Fe. I don't know what I want to do. And he went to New York City with the only skill he thought he had, which was faxing, and he got a bunch of jobs, and he got fired from a bunch of jobs. And then after pursuing different things, he was working for an agent, then he was working on a set, and then he was like, well, maybe I'll just make some pots. And his making pots turned into an empire where he has 28 stores. He's making all kinds of things. He's making candles and pillows and and, and fabrics and, and sofas, and he's designing hotels. I really just think that the the thing here, the trick is the doing and the starting and the trying, because when you get in the lab and you start to mix stuff and you start to play with stuff, things start to happen and things start to pop and ideas start to come to life and you start to realize, no, you don't want to actually use this color. You want to use this color, but you never would have even known that unless you use the first color. So I would say just pick one Um, and you don't have to make such, you know, it doesn't have to be so heavy and so weighted pick one close your eyes and picture yourself doing each of those things and notice when you picture yourself doing fashion how does your chest feel does it feel expansive does it feel light when you picture yourself doing organization stuff what does it feel like do you feel free or do you feel a little bit constricted in your chest what does it feel like and just go with your gut And then just try stuff because it's amazing what's going to evolve and happen that you could never have predicted, but by starting, you're going to find your way there. And without starting, that hesitation just kills all of the creativity and all of the momentum. So I hope that you'll just start and I hope that great things happen. I hope that that was helpful. Follow me on Instagram at Kathy.Heller, Kathy with a C, and uh, we'll answer more questions and we'll keep doing this week after week. All right, this show is brought to you by ShipStation. When you're selling online, getting your orders out the door quickly can be pretty tough. That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fast and easy way to manage and ship your orders all from one place. Whether you're using Shopify or Squarespace or Etsy or over 75 other popular selling channels, ShipStation brings all of your orders into one simple interface, making them really easy to manage from any device, even your cell phone. Use ShipStation to create shipping labels for all your top carriers, including UPS, FedEx, and U.S. Postal Service. So often when you're an artist and you're creative and you're doing hand lettering or you're creating jewelry design or anything that you're doing and you have a shop the part that sometimes actually inhibits us from creating more and putting things out there more is because the business side of it and the shipping side of it more more particularly doesn't get dialed in. And I've talked to so many people who have Etsy shops and they say, you know, it gets to a point where they can't take on more orders because fulfilling those orders and getting the shipping stuff done and the paperwork, it just takes a long time. So I strongly recommend ShipStation because ShipStation helps you get orders out quickly and it keeps your customers happy. You'll be able to ship more things in less time with the best rates available. No wonder it's the number one choice of online sellers. Right now, try ShipStation for free for 30 days and you can get an additional month free only if you use my promo code DREAMJOB. So go to ShipStation.com and before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in DREAMJOB. That's ShipStation.com and enter DREAMJOB, ShipStation, make ship happen. Thanks to LovePop for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. LovePop gives you a reason to do something awesome for the special people in your life, whether it's a wedding or birthday party. LovePop has the perfect card. LovePop will even handwrite a message in your card and mail it directly so you can send a personalized card from your phone in about one minute. The intricate 3D laser cut paper cards are designed and then handcrafted. With more than 250 3D cards to choose from, LovePop has the perfect design for that special person in your life and the only gift you send in an envelope. So we teamed up with Love Pop and they have a Love Pop birthday sweepstakes for a chance to win 50 3D birthday cards. So visit lovepop.com slash So I have three of these cards, okay? One of the cards I have is a Beatles card and these are 3 d So when you open up the card on the front of the Beatles card, it just says the Beatles. You open it up and the Abbey Road, Beatles walking across Abbey Road pops up in 3D. It's super cool. I gave one for somebody's birthday and I gave one for somebody uh, housewarming. But anyway, everybody really loves. It people were kind of like amazed. It really looks handcrafted. It's special. It looks really cool. So remember, go to lovepop.com/dreamjob to enter the Love Pop birthday sweepstakes for 50 3D birthday cards in 2018. That's lovepop.com/dreamjob. All right. So today I'm really delighted. We have Trina Turk here. Trina Turk is a fashion designer. She's a swimwear designer. She has a $60 million clothing line. She's been written about in Forbes and Inc. Her her fashion has been featured everywhere. Uh, It's California-inspired. It's made in California. It's beautiful. I have um, some of her clothes, and every time I'm wearing a bathing suit of hers or a piece of clothing, everybody says, God, the fit on that is so great, and the color on that is so great. And I'm so delighted that she accepted the offer and she came on the show, so I can't wait to hear her whole story. So without further ado, let's dive in. Trina, thank you so much for taking the time to do this.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, it's so cool that you're here. So let's go back. Tell me, where did your love for fashion begin? When you were a kid, were you making things?
1: Yeah, um, I was always obsessed with my older sister Leah's fashion magazines. (laughs) And I would anxiously await their arrival. She got, you know, Mademoiselle and Glamour. And she considered herself too old for 17 but, um, and for some reason, I didn't have a subscription to that magazine. But I would, you know, go to the newsstand like repeatedly waiting for new issues to come out because obviously oh, this is pre internet and that was really where my fashion information came from.
2: And <laughs> yeah. um,
1: maybe from television, but I guess that was, it was more from the magazine. So um, my mom was a great seamstress. My mom is Japanese and. Um, oh, that's so cool. She, yeah, she was, she, was a great seamstress and actually she was great in a lot of ways in terms of making things herself. She's a great cook. She knows how to knit and crochet and, you know, in the late sixties and the early seventies it was a very crafty time. So yeah. She was doing everything. I mean she was doing boutique, she was doing ceramics. So cool. And so making things I think is something that I just thought people did. I didn't really think that, yeah, yeah, I didn't think that was anything unusual. Mm-hmm. So through my mom's um, sewing, she taught me how to sew, and she taught me how to manipulate patterns, which was a big eye-opener, because that really made me realize that you didn't have to follow the pattern, and you could actually do whatever you wanted.
2: Ah,
0: that's a big life lesson right there. Yes. Yeah. So what happened next? When you were in, let's say, high school, did you have any idea of what you wanted to be when you grew up?
1: Yeah, when I was in high school, I was going to high school in Bellevue, Washington. I grew up mainly in California, but in the mid-70s, we moved to Bellevue, Washington, which is a Mm -hmm. suburb of Seattle, and the high school let me sort of, quote-unquote, create my own classes, Mm -hmm. which essentially meant they just let me sew all afternoon, and that was really all I wanted to do. It was kind of under the umbrella of what was then the home ec department, Right. and uh, they let me just kind of like create this class where I got credit, and I just got to sew. And so that's what I did.
0: Little did they know they were truly helping you build an empire. Like they just thought they were letting you sew.
1: I honestly to this day don't really know if, you know, how common something like that would have been. No, but. I've never
0: heard of that in high
1: school. But they let me do it. And so that's what I did. And I decided that, you know, I had decided early on that I wanted to be a fashion designer as a career. But I honestly, I don't think I really knew what that entailed when I made that decision other than the fact that I knew that it was something that a lot of women did Mm -hmm. and that you know it was possible to like be paid for it. Right, right. <laughs> so, so my understanding was very, very simple. Right. Um, and when I graduated from high school, I decided to go to the university of Washington, which is just right across the lake in Seattle. And yeah. I didn't decide to go there because of its fabulous apparel design program. Although they did have one, wow. I really decided to go there because I could afford to go there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, now it's extremely expensive to go to the University of Washington, but yeah. back in the early 80s, it was not.
2: Yeah. And
1: they had an apparel design program, which once again, was sort of an outgrowth of, of what used to be the home economics department. Mm-hmm. And so it was very kind of quaint, I guess you could say, in comparison to the types of programs that, you know, I later found uh, some of my colleagues had gone to, you know, at Parsons or at Otis in Los Angeles, right. or even right. the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising. I think that ours was very kind of old fashioned. Okay. And, you know, I can clearly remember one of the things that we learned was how to design clothing that would be more flattering to the ideal female hourglass figure, you yeah. know, stuff like that. It was very kind of 50s.
2: Yeah,
1: oriented. Yeah. So, but nonetheless, you know, it was a four year university. And I guess going to a four-year university has its benefits in other ways, whether or not the actual apparel design program was geared towards the industry. Right. So, so that was where I went to school.
0: And then, when you graduated, what was your first job?
1: In Seattle, at the time, there was quite a few sportswear, like young, young juniors and young men, sportswear manufacturers. Most of them were offshoots of a jeans company called Britannia. Mm-hmm. Which, for those of you of a certain age, you might remember Britannia jeans. They did these very kind of novelty jeans for men and women. Yeah. But honestly, it was a great training ground and I learned a lot there. I started traveling to Asia pretty much immediately. I was hired as a des- I was first an intern there when I was still in school mm-hmm. and they hired me as a design assistant, which at the time meant that most of my day was spent doing these things called spec sheets, which sort of detailed out all of the little um, the little details that would be on a pair of jeans, the color of the stitching, the type of the stitching, the type of button, just kind of like that detail work is what I spent most of my time doing.
0: How long were you there?
1: Um, I worked there for two years, and at some point during that two years, they started letting me design the tops. Now, granted, you have to take, take this with a grain of salt because designing the tops at this company was really not that important you know the, the bulk of their business was um, was the jeans and right. so the tops were kind of an afterthought so Got the it. idea that I was now the quote the tops designer you know right it was I guess it was sort of fun to be the tops designer but in the scheme of things you know right. it wasn't really that meaningful right okay The more meaningful part was just the the travel to Asia and learning how to work with an overseas agency, you know, visiting factories, seeing how products were actually made. That yeah. was great. And I mean, i wow. they started taking me to Asia and to Japan for shopping trips really, you know, soon after I started, which to me, it was just like, wow, this is yeah, amazing. Yeah, that's not a bad perk. Pretty cool.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's great. What an eye-opening experience for you at 22, 23 years old. Yeah, it
1: was pretty great. So then um, I was there for a couple of years, and my boss um, moved to Southern California to work for OP, mm-hmm. um, Ocean Pacific, the surfwear yeah. company. Yeah. And he invited me to come down and join him as um, a junior sportswear designer. And I guess in my head, I had thought that I would probably end up in New York, but you know, this opportunity presented itself. And I was kind of like, okay, I, we had actually visited LA, you know, many times to do sort of like trend shopping trips when I was working Uh there. And Uh I, I had lived in the Valley for a short period of time when I was a kid. And so I was kind of like, I just wanted to go somewhere. So I was like, okay, I'm moving to LA. So I started working for OP and, you know, found an apartment in LA, got used to being in a new city and, you know, thinking of what Los Angeles was like in the mid 80s I moved in 1985 and have been here ever since and it's you know the city has changed a lot since then but Jonathan who is my husband was not my husband at the time he was still at the University of Washington and so I knew when I was getting an apartment that it was going to be the apartment that he was eventually going to move into so so I was sort of like nervous about like picking the right apartment (laughs) and I didn't know LA at all so just wow, that you guys
0: have been thing. together a long time. That's a that's another huge accomplishment you have under yeah. Your head.
1: We've been together for a really long time. <laughs> that's wonderful. Um, so anyway, he moved down later that year, but um, for the first I don't know six months, I was on my own, and it was actually sort of like nerve wracking and exciting to sort of like learn sure the city. Yeah.
0: So you are working for OP? How long does that last? For
1: OP. Um, I worked there for about. I think I worked there for like two and a half years Okay. and that actually also was a really great place to work because most of it was being produced domestically and the reason they had hired my boss was because they wanted to start making things overseas and my experience up until then had been purely on, you know, overseas manufacturing. Right. So, so when I was cool. at yeah. OP, I learned a little bit about domestic manufacturing. And also, uh, the really fun part is that we got to—they sent us to um, Europe twice a year to, you know, do trend shopping, which is not as important as it used to be because everything is online now.
2: Right, but, right.
1: But um, I think, you know, I think that people still do it. But at that time, it was very common for apparel companies to, you know, do these trips where you would be in London for two days, That's Paris for two part. days, Here's Amsterdam a credit for card. Days.
0: Go shopping. We'll pay for it. You're like, yeah. okay, twist my arm.
1: Yeah, so what happened great. after that? Let's see. I left OP. I, in my head, I wanted to design something that was, you know, a little bit more sophisticated. And so I left OP to work for Coal of California, which was a big swimwear company um, that actually, I think, got started in the 1920s. And mm. so the guy who started Coal of California, Fred Cole, his daughter was Ann Cole. And Ann Cole had her own swimwear brand that was called Ann Cole. And she wanted to do a sportswear collection. So I was hired to design this sportswear collection, which was wow. higher price point, And, you know, the target market was much more sort of a Saks and Neiman's kind of level. Right. Um, so Ann Cole, she was a huge, huge character and big personality and had kind of grown up in the swimwear industry And was super opinionated and really, really fun to work with. I mean, she was, she was sort of like bigger than life kind of person. And, you know, she had, she grew up very wealthy because Coal of California was a big successful company. And, you know, she, she loved sort of nautical things and navy and white. And she pretty much wanted everything to be navy and white, which you can't really (laughs) do that. Otherwise, (laughs) otherwise, otherwise it becomes very boring over right. the course of a year. Right. So we, we actually, you know, this was a brand new thing. And we did get into some of those higher tier department stores. And the business was, it was small, but it was growing. And then coal was sold to another company, mm. which I can't remember who bought it, but somebody bought coal of California. Mm-hmm. And our division was a very tiny division. And so they decided to close it. So I was laid off along with everybody else
2: Okay, gotcha. in
1: my department. And, of course, you know, this is the first time I had been laid off. And even though it was a layoff, you still sort of take it very personally. Right. Uh, You're just like, oh, no, like, they fired me. Right. So it was, let's see, so that was probably like 1987. Okay. So, you know, I was like 26 And so it's like, okay, well, I guess I need to get a new job. And I got a job, a very short-lived job at another sportswear company where I was laid off again. (laughs) I think that job lasted less than a year. It was for a company called Weavers, which was a a garment-dyed T-shirt company. And that was also a bummer when I was laid off there because I had worked my butt off at that place. You know, I was working kind of like it was my own company. And then just sort of like one day when – I think that the entire design department was laid off. We were all sort of dumbfounded and maybe just kind of young and like not really seeing what was actually going on at the company. Right. So it's kind of like, okay, well that happened again.
0: This is so good for people to hear because <laughs>
1: people don't realize. Yeah. Um, but then I got a job at Bum Equipment, a uh-huh. sweatshirt yep. company with yep. the big white puffy logos. Yep, and once again, it wasn't really exactly what I wanted to be designing Mm-hmm. And I worked there for I think I worked there for like five and a half years. Wow! And when I was when I was working there, I didn't really like. I never wore those sweatshirts. You know, I I, I was a snob. What can I say? <laughs> I was like, I'm never gonna wear these. You sweatshirts. like nice things? No, I <laughs> yeah. totally support that. <laughs> but I did love all the people that I worked with, and I met a lot of great people there. That later, you know, sort of gave me advice here and there when I started my company. So it was probably a couple years into that when I started seriously thinking about starting a company. It was not really, you know, fully formed in my head. It was just my main objective was I wanted to do something that I would actually want to wear. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to do something that was better fabric. And I also, um, I had some crazy bosses along the way and there were a few things that happened at OP that I just thought, these people are not smarter than me. Like, why am I reporting to these men, and mostly? You know, there's no reason why I should be reporting to them. Like, they should be letting me do whatever I want. Like, I, I thought that all the time. And there were a couple times when I did things that were sort of contrary to what I had been instructed to do, Right. where these guys got really mad and I just kind of thought, you know what, like, I don't really need this. Like they were sort of motivated by whatever they were motivated by. And I just knew that some of the things that we were doing were like not the right thing to do. So, mm. I mean, in terms of everything, in terms of product development, in terms of like store displays, in terms of like all of these things. So I was sort of feeling a little bit confined and That was as much of why I wanted to start my own company as the part about wearing clothes that I actually, or designing clothes that I would actually wear. Yeah. So I talked about it for a long time and Jonathan got pretty sick of hearing me talk about starting my own company and He's just like you know why don't you just quit like why don't you just stop talking about it and oh just my god quit? It's scary yeah <laughs> and and it is scary and i think that that's why it took me so long to actually do it cuz i had my you know my 401k and my health insurance and yes. you know i had my yes. little group of friends that i worked with and that mm, and, you it know feels still, safe
0: we're, feel right, safe yeah
1: we were still doing the travel um Which was the fun part. You know, we were going to Japan and India and Pakistan and Israel, you know, all these places where we were producing clothing in addition to these shopping trips, which were always fun. So there were parts of it that I enjoyed, even though I wasn't that into the product itself. So finally, I just thought, okay, you know, I I think I was 34 when I started.
0: Wow, and, that's also super inspiring. People would have thought if you don't start your business by 22, you're doomed.
1: 34. Especially in the apparel industry. I think the idea of starting a business right or starting a company right out of school is really a bad idea just because it's an extremely competitive, tough business. And I think that they're out of the you know thousands of people who try and do that. I think that there's Handful who actually make it, especially if you start the business the way that I started it, which was not with any major financing at all. I mean, well, so it was tell us about that. So, what happened? So, you took the leap. I took the leap. I quit my job in May of 1995, and I was a little bit disappointed that people were not excited for me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was excited for myself, and right. Jonathan was excited, but the people who I worked with they were kind of like, Oh God, like, why are you doing that? You know, you're going to, you're going to waste all your, you're going to spend all your money. Like mm-hmm. it's so difficult. You know, are you sure you want to do that? Like I guess I was expecting a little bit more su- you right. know, support from yeah. my business associates at work, but they were leery basically. Okay. And, um, I'm just like, okay, well, whatever, you know, I'm do- this is what I'm doing. And so I, I, at the beginning, it was it was relatively simple because all I was really doing was designing this collection, and you know, doing stuff like getting a business license and you know, figuring out like where I was going to make my sales, for example. So it was it wasn't overwhelming. Um, so I made this little collection. It was maybe I think it was maybe like 15 pieces. Mm-hmm. It was silk dupioni in really really beautiful vivid colors mm. and a couple neutrals. And I had samples made. I found a little sample shop in downtown L.A. Um, with this great Thai lady who helped me, you know, make my samples. And so I had a sample line and I made a little line sheet, you know, with the prices and the deliveries and all that kind of stuff. And I, I did a little research about sales representatives in New York who mm-hmm. might represent this collection. And Interesting. And I kind of like, like I decided who I would want to hang with. And then figured out who represented those brands and sent out a bunch of, like, letters and packages and said, you know, saying I was going to come to New York and I was looking for representation. And what and was the response blah, like? Blah, blah. Um, well, it was actually really interesting. I was completely petrified to do this because I'm a West Coast person. I mean, I, I had worked in New York through my entire career, because if you're in the fashion industry, then you work in New York at right. some times. So it wasn't like I was not familiar with n- in New York, but just the idea of sort of getting up in front of these people and showing them this collection was sort of terrifying to me. So yeah. when I started calling to make appointments, people were surprisingly friendly and sort of open-minded. And, you know, some people just said, well, no, you know, this, it's too much of a conflict with something that I'm already representing, but you might want to talk to this person. Mm -hmm. And they were super helpful in terms of at least getting me to the point where I had enough appointments so that when I went, I could actually spend some time with maybe, I think I, I think I went to New York with maybe seven appointments Wow. and plan to spend just a week there showing this collection to people and trying to figure out which showroom i should be in or which wow. showroom was interested in representing me yep so of course it turned out to be like the hottest week of the summer it was oh god it was in august and it was you know one of those new york weeks where it's like 99 degrees and 99 percent humidity
2: so fun. and so yeah.
1: Yeah, so great. <laughs> and so I had, I had like one of those black rolling cases, and I spent the whole week like wheeling this thing around Aye. the garment district. And, you know, I'd, every time I had an appointment, like I'd have to sort of like pull myself together before I actually went into oh, yeah. the showroom yeah. because yeah. I was like hot and sweaty. It was really gross. So, anyway, at the end of that week, I guess that, you know, the thing that was surprising was that. People were actually super nice and super, you know, friendly and very sort of straightforward. And it's like, and, you know, during that week I did get referred to some other people and, you know, there were definitely flat out no's and whatever. There was like this mixture, but generally people were were nice. And at the end of the week, there were three showrooms that were interested in representing the collection. Mm-hmm. The reason why I was there in that particular week was there was a trade show coming up the following week, and my plan was to just leave the collection with somebody so that they could take it to the trade show.
2: Ah, okay. And
1: so one of the showrooms told me that they would take, they would consider taking the collection if I went to the trade show mm-hmm. and worked it and Got sold it. the collection at the trade show. And so I just crossed them off the list because it's You're like, like
0: well, What are you doing what? then? Right. Yeah,
1: it's like, that's not what I want to do. Yeah. And then there were two left, and I just sort of picked one. Then I came back to L.A., and I did exactly the same thing with another sample line in Los Angeles although it was much easier in LA because I live in LA. Right. And it wasn't as humid. <laughs>
0: <So>. <laughs> this is so great cuz you're really breaking it down into simple bite-sized pieces. You designed samples, you worked with this Thai woman, she made the samples with you and then you walked yourself into some sales report. Like it So what happened next?
1: So I came back to LA, um, I found a sales rep in Los Angeles and mm-hmm. so I had my two sales reps and they mm-hmm. had their two sample lines and then they were going to go sell it. Okay. And so I think before I found a sales rep in LA, I did go and show the collection to American rag, mm-hmm. which is, uh, Store that I shopped in and that I liked, and you know, and they actually placed an order, and I was sort of like, "Wow, that was so hard." Yes. I mean, not that I wanted to sell, but I was sort of like, "Okay, well, I got an order." And so then they each had their lines, and they started selling, and I started getting orders. That's and amazing. yeah. And so I'm sitting there with like the most basic kind of like order entry system. Oh god, and, yeah. Know, <laughs> I mean my technological skills are not great and right. so it was just kind of like we set up this very rudimentary thing to kind of tally the orders and it's right. like one size four one size six oh, one size eight but i was working out of a spare bedroom in our house of in Los Velas. Right. and jonathan was you know jonathan was very busy he was styling he was working really long days and you know he was sometimes he would leave at you know seven a.m. and he'd come back at nine p.m. and I would oh, wow. have never changed out of my clothes oh, my because I was like so busy, sort of like ordering fabric and ordering trims and doing all this stuff. And mm-hmm. he'd be like, "You never got dressed, like it's your own." <laughs> <laughs> and so, anyhow, they're selling the first collection, and I got um, I got an order from Barney's from my That's crazy from my L.A. rep, and, and I this was, is within so, the first year. This is the first the collection. Wow. And then I got an order from Saks. And I was like, oh my God, you got an order from Saks.
0: And who's yeah. making it? You and this Thai woman, or are there three other people?
1: Well, they're now, like, I'm starting to get orders and I'm starting to figure out, okay, well, I need to, like, figure out, like, how I'm going to produce right. this stuff. And at the time, you know, I had always intended to produce it in LA because I knew that these quantities would be too small to do it overseas. Okay. So through referrals, I, you know, I found a cutting service who would cut the garments and I found a sewing contractor who would sew. And basically what I was doing was I was paying a, I was sort of paying a premium because the quantities were small.
2: Got
1: it. So then, you know, I'm lining up this whole thing. Like I'm trying to figure out like how much fabric to order. And, you know, we continued to get like little orders. And then I got a really big order, like a $250,000 order what? from Bibi. And wow. at the time Bibi was buying from other vendors. And I don't think that they had fully evolved into like the sexy clubwear thing
2: that okay. they kind
1: of became. Yeah, yeah. This is 19, This is in 1995. Mm-hmm. So they bought a, like a skinny pant and a little sleeveless shell mm-hmm. that were sort of a matching set. Mm-hmm. And they bought two hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of it, and I just oh thought,
2: my God. Oh my God,
1: "How am I going to like produce this?" And so I decided, "Okay, this single order is big enough to do overseas because okay. I, I had actually I had more experience working overseas than I did yeah. working domestically." So I placed that order overseas, and then I had the all the other orders I left together, and I made I was going to make those in L.A. So that's what I did, and so we made the stuff we shipped it out and it you know it it retailed pretty well and so you know the thing then is that once I got into production that's where it starts to get complicated because you're producing one line and then you have to design the next line at the same time
2: right yeah when I
1: was talking about how it was relatively calm at the beginning that's because I didn't have like five seasons going on at the same time
0: unbelievable wow
1: so anyway we Ship those orders. There were definitely some hiccups in the production. We barely got that big order to BB um, on time because it got held up in customs. Wow. But we delivered it and, you know... So stressful! Oh. <laughs> yeah. And um, so that BB order, I mean, I didn't get another order of that size for probably like three years. Wow. Like that, that one order really you know, and the money that we made from that one order really sort of helped to sort of fund the business. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't really know if we hadn't gotten that order, like what would have happened? I guess, you know, we would have just, the initial growth would have been slower, but the money from that order, you know, it was sort of like, okay. So once we got that, a friend of mine who, um, his name is Esteban Ramos he also was doing his own thing, and mm-hmm. he referred me to um, a CPA who specialized in the apparel industry,
2: That's who told cool.
1: me I needed to get a factor. And I'm like, what's a factor? Yeah. And a factor is a financial institution that essentially lets you borrow against your orders.
0: Ah, never heard of this. Okay, cool. Yeah.
1: Which I had never heard of it either. And that, you know, like when I started the company, I'm like, oh, I know everything. And I mean, really, there were so many things I didn't know. So, you know, I placed my order in overseas for the the BB order. But then I had to get a freight forwarder and I had to get a customs broker. And I had to get all these things that were sort of like, I don't know about any of this stuff. And that's where my network of colleagues from all of my previous jobs were really helpful. Like, although yeah. they weren't cheering me on when I left, if I had a question for them, they were definitely helpful <laughs> and yeah, told me to, sense. like, call this person, call right. that person. You know, okay, if you need a freight forwarder, maybe you should try these people. Mm-hmm. If you need a customs broker, maybe you should try these people. So, I mean, that kind of stuff is really, like, not anything that I'm interested in, nor is it my forte. Yeah, but, it was but just you have of to, get you it had has to, to get do done. You have to do it. Yep. And the company was me, so guess who got to do it? Oh, so yeah. there was something came up every day that l- was just like a factor, sort of like, okay, well, I need to get a factor, but I don't even know what a factor is. Yep. <laughs> what is a factor? So <laughs> I got a factor, and it allowed me to borrow against the orders that I had in hand, you know, which essentially allowed you to buy the materials to produce and ship the order. Yeah. Um, and that was important. So, anyhow, you know, it was basically like this slow and steady growth. We probably didn't really make money. Like, we weren't really super profitable for about four years. Okay. So, I mean, like, that's how long it took to really, you know, be making any kind of money that was significant because yeah. all the money that we made, we were, you know, turning it around and putting it right back in. There was never like there was extra cash, right? You know, that, that I think that at the beginning, you know it's easy to be profitable because your overhead is so low yeah but once we started hiring pattern makers and hiring sample sewers i moved yeah. from our house to a loft in little tokyo and then as the company grew you know we ended up getting another loft and that was like our little warehouse and then that got too small so we got another loft. yeah so by the time we got to 2001 We had pretty much outgrown the loft and we moved to this building in Alhambra, which we are still in. So I started in 1995 and then holiday 1999 was the millennium holiday. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was so much hype around uh, going to the year 2000. Yes. And we did this holiday collection that had like this little sparkly, dangly things on it and i just remember that holiday collection doing really really well and i mean part of it was it was cute i think but part of it was also that there was just like so much excitement about that years yeah i mean that was also i mean for those of you who remember that was also like there was that whole y2k oh yeah they
0: thought the world might end
2: all the computers would crash yes
1: yeah so it was funny because it was this combination of sort of like people were excited and terrified and yeah, I it was remember. Just, you know, it was, it was before September 11th. I mean, in a way it was like a much more innocent time. It was.
0: Yeah, it really was.
1: I remember like it was really easy to like travel, um,
2: uh, you know, it wow. was before
1: all the security checks and like, uh, you know,
2: yeah,
1: you could leave for LAX an hour before your flight and make the flight. Okay. <laughs> anyway, those days are over. Um, So I think that that's one thing that kind of sticks out in my head is that that particular holiday, holiday 1999, when we did sort of like jump up. At that point, I think we had also gotten a sales rep in Atlanta. So we had a third sales Mm rep. And I mean, after that, you know, the sort of next thing that I think of as sort of a milestone was... um, When we opened our store in Palm Springs. Oh, okay. That was in 2002. And uh, that was your
0: first store? How many stores do you have now?
1: um, We have 14 stores now, but that was our first one. Yep. And Jonathan and I had bought a house out in the desert in 1998. And, you know, that was kind of at the very beginning of this, like, renaissance of Palm Springs. And Mm -hmm. people were interested in the mid century modern architecture, uh, which is what brought us out there. And I, you know, I knew, we knew all these people who were buying houses, and we were just like, you know, where are these people going to shop? Like there was kind of like. Oh, I outfit.
0: see. Smart.
1: And you know, there was definitely um, a parallel between our aesthetic and this mid-century modern aesthetic, and so there was a particular vintage modern furniture store that we shopped at often. Mm-hmm. And every time we were in there, I was like, oh, I just love this space, like. This space ever became available, like I would want to open a store here. And so it became that space actually on the like Labor Day of 2001. We drove into town for the weekend, and and that space had a for lease sign on it. Oh, look at that. Jonathan's like, Oh, are you really going to do that? Are you really going to lease the store? Like, yeah, we're doing it. Like, I'm leasing the store, which is still our store. It's expanded a couple times since then, but the women's part of the store is that space that I'm talking about. That's
0: awesome. I love how you just kind of do the next thing. It's not like you sit down and think about all the risks and uh, write a business plan. You just do the next thing. And maybe if you would have known all those things like the factor and the customs broker, maybe you wouldn't have even have done it. So maybe it's you good that what? you kind of just did it.
1: You're 100% right. I mean, I don't think it's smart not to do a business plan, but I never did a business plan. And I think that, yeah, exactly what you said. Had I done one, I might have just scared myself out of the whole thing.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. It was
1: basically, you know, it's like every day there's like some sort of thing that you have to figure out. You know, if you start in the way that I started, which is basically like, there's not not a lot of resources. The resource is yourself. And that's pretty much it.
2: Such a great quote.
0: The resource is
1: yourself. You know, I know that, you know, people start apparel companies and they have like this super, you know, they have like a plan laid out and they have big financing and everything, but I don't necessarily know that that's better because I think that then you don't actually know every aspect of your business. Mm. I mean, now when people complain to me like that, they have too much work. I'm not very sympathetic. No, (laughs) no, you're not. Because I just like, well, you know, I used to do that and I used to do like 50 other things besides this thing that you're doing that you're saying is like too much work for you. So in that way, I guess I'm kind of tough and, I'm not very sympathetic if yeah. people say that they're
0: super busy. But see, this is, we had Jonathan Adler on a couple of weeks ago and he he said I the same how- thing. I, I don't think people realize that it's not just like someone gets like a lucky star. It's like they work really hard. Like they work really, they put in the work. They don't just sit there and wait for an opportunity. They're like, look what you had to do. All of it. So, one of my questions is why? Well,
1: I mean, I guess that, I guess I have. The entrepreneurial spirit, whatever that means. Like, you just kind of want to see it through. And yeah. I mean, now, you know, that the bit, when the business is more mature, it's basically like an extremely complex game. You're playing a game, and the other people playing the game are all of our competitors. <laughs> and so, that's great, great news. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, it's a super complex game. You know, I mean, it's not a game. Like, It's not a game, especially now that we have employees and this is their livelihood and this is my livelihood. So it's not a game in the sense that it's frivolous, right? but it is kind of a game in a way because you have to outsmart and be better than the other people.
0: All right, well, that's my next question. Let's talk about that for one second because there's tons of content, right? I mean, if you want to buy a swimsuit, there's a million places you can go. So what do you think it is? about your brand, about you, about the product, what makes it stand out? What makes it have the edge?
1: Well, I think that we're authentically doing something that's California-inspired in California. Hmm. And, you know, I think that there is an optimism to the products that we make. And, you know, the, the sort of brand DNA is essentially optimistic.
2: How does that
0: get expressed?
1: I mean, I think it's expressed, you know, obviously print and color is an extremely important part of, both are extremely important parts of who we are as a brand. And so print and color to me are essentially happy and optimistic. Yeah. Um, not that we don't do black. I mean, we do lovely black dresses and, you know, nice fitting black pants. But I think that when people think of the brand, they think more of color and
0: Print. yeah i
2: certainly do color
1: so i think you express optimism through color and yeah, print beautiful. i mean the other thing that i think is sort of a little bit harder to pin down is just how clothes fit and you know i spend enough time in our stores to see that expression that somebody gets a woman oh, yeah. gets on her face <laughs> yeah when she knows that something looks good on her yeah you know and fit fit is is super challenging and we spend a lot of time on it because you know we make one size six. Mm-hmm. And a size six woman could be five two or she could be five yeah. eleven. And we're trying to make one garment that fits, you know, all the size sixes. So I think that another aspect of this optimism thing is just when you put it on, you feel good. And yeah. you, you kind of like maybe look better than you looked in the other dress that yeah. you just tried on. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I think that so women true. It's
2: so true. see that yeah, they and do. they
1: recognize it and they look at themselves in the mirror and they're kind of like, this really looks like I really look good. Are you dress. not using
0: a model that's like a hundred pounds?
1: Oh no, she's definitely not. And The interesting thing is we've been using our same fit model for, this is kind of frightening to say, but we've been using our same fit model for 20 years.
2: Oh
0: my God.
1: And lucky for her, she has this amazing body. She's half African-American. And she has this amazing body that has not shifted.
0: Wow, that's
1: crazy. <laughs> I guess that's the only word I can think of to use. Um, you know, we measure her regularly. And she has kept the same figure. Wow! And obviously her, her body, you know, is part of, The secret of our success. That's really cool. Because, because, you know, women like our fit. Oh, I
0: definitely do. What is your advice to those who are listening who have a dream? What's your advice when someone really wants to do something? Maybe they're overwhelmed. Maybe they're scared. Maybe they're not sure if they should settle and do something else. What's your gut reaction?
1: I mean, my gut reaction is that they should try and execute what they're thinking about. However, I think that the difference between just sort of, like, this kind of, like, fairy dust, follow your dreams, is, like, learn as much as you can about mm. what you want to do before you just, like, dive into it. Because yeah. I had worked, worked for 12 years before I started.
0: Yeah, that's changing. not nothing.
1: But the thing is, is that I was very sort of, like, cocky about the fact that I was ready to start. And just from some of the things we've talked about, like factors and all this stuff, I was really, there was so much that I did not know. So I think that working, you know, in the industry that you plan to be in and learning as much as you can. And if you're not learning something at your current job, then you should move to the next job so that you can continue to learn and everything should be sort of put into your arsenal for when you start your company. Your arsenal of knowledge and experience, I guess I mean. Yes. And one of the reasons I started the company was because I thought, well, what if if I never try it? then I'm just going to regret it for the rest of my life.
0: Yeah, I see. I could see that for sure.
1: So I think that too, like if you really want to try something, then I think that you have to do it just for your own self-fulfillment. Yeah. But I don't think that you should do it and you know just cross your fingers and hope everything works out. I yeah. think you really have to like learn as much as you can about what you want to do.
2: Yeah,
0: makes sense. What's the best piece of advice you were ever given?
1: Um, you know what, actually, one really good, piece of advice. I actually learned it. One of our good friends in the late 80s was an alcoholic. Oh, great. We went to some meetings with him, sort of as a surrogate family. That's
2: nice. Um, because
1: his family wasn't here. Was and nice. one of the things that they said in this meeting was to say what you want.
2: Ah, oh, I love because
1: that. a lot of people assume that everybody knows what they want because they know what they want and and they're so you know you're in your own head and and in your own head it's obvious what you want to yourself but the point was how can people know what you want if you don't say it and just saying what you want won't necessarily get you everything you want but it will you'll have a better chance of getting what you want because at least everybody else will know
0: god that's inspiring oh my god That is so simple and yet so overlooked. That is brilliant.
1: I thought that was very interesting. And um, so now I say what I want. And sometimes I get it, and sometimes I don't.
0: Ah, that was great. I love that. Um, Where can people find you? What's next? Um, Where should they look for you?
1: Well, I mean, the easiest place to find me is on Mm Trinaturk.com or... My husband Jonathan, who I've mentioned a couple times, is now <laughs> designing the menswear collection. So cool! Um, which is MrTurk.com. Cute. And um, what about Instagram?
0: Know, what do you want? What's your what's your Instagram handle? My
1: about? Instagram is at Trina Turk. Okay. And I do the Instagram myself, which is fun. That's Although awesome. I'm not, you know, I know there's all these rules about posting three times a day at the same oh, time. you don't have. I'm to. not necessarily very good at that, but I try. <laughs> It's busy around here, so sometimes the Instagram post falls to the wayside.
0: I think you've you've passed all that, but I love that you do it yourself. We had Bobby Brown on, and she does hers herself, and I think that that's just so humble and awesome, and such a fun way for your fans to connect to you.
1: Well, also, you know, it's visual, obviously, and yeah. I'm much more of a visual person than I am a word person.
0: Yeah, although you speak so well, you just. Are, have been so inspiring over the last hour. So thank you so much for, for doing this. Thank you for adding so much color and optimism. I'm not surprised you're friends with Jonathan Adler because your work and his work look like they are sister and brother. I, I love that you're doing what you're doing because it, it is beautiful and you're so down to earth and humble. It's great to hear from you and hear your perspective on things.
1: Well, thanks for having me. It was fun to chat.
0: Yeah, great. Okay. That was so much fun. So here are some takeaways. Number one, you don't have to always follow the pattern. You can do what you want. Number two, sometimes not having a business plan is a good thing, but know the industry before you jump all in. Number three, the resource is you. And that's pretty much it. Number four, if you're not learning anything from your current job, it's time to move on to the next one. Number five, do what fulfills you, but don't just go into it with your fingers crossed. You have to do the work. And number six, say what you want. Sometimes you'll get it and sometimes you won't, but if you never put it out in the world, how will people know? Thank you guys so much for listening to our show. Please tell your friends about it. I just, um, put up a little giveaway on my Instagram and on Facebook. It was super fun and everybody was really supportive and responsive. So I think I'm going to do it again. So come follow me at Instagram at Kathy.Heller, C A T H Y.H and you can come to our Facebook page and our Facebook group. I post these giveaways from time to time, and this week my giveaway is a bag of goodies. I'm sending you guys some unicorns and some really fun unicorn things that I love. Some of them are handcrafted from Etsy makers, and some of them are little things I found elsewhere. Um, but I'm gonna send you guys some fun goodie bags, and so if you want the details on all of that, follow me on Instagram at Kathy.Heller, C A T H E E R. T H Y and find out how to get a goodie bag sent to your door. These are going to be some of my favorite cute little items and uh, go follow me on Instagram and you'll find out how to, how to get in on that so I can send you guys something in the mail that I think you're really going to like just a gift from me to you for all your support. For those of you who want to be podcasters, I'm going to be speaking at Podcast Movement, which is in Anaheim, August 23rd and 24th. If you guys want to have your own podcast and coming to uh, Anaheim is something doable, um, it is such an incredible experience. And I will be speaking there. And you can find out more about that also um, if you follow me on Instagram and on my Facebook page for Don't Keep Your Day Job. I will talk to you guys next week. Special thanks to our executive producer, Tim Street, and producer, Emma Kikuchi. The podcast is a production of Authentic. For more info on advertising in this show, visit AuthenticShows.com.